This is Leisha Holmes and I'm your host on the Recruiters Recruitment Podcast brought to you by Hoxo Media and I am beyond excited today because this is our inaugural interview from Japan. Uh, I am very delighted to be joined today by the co-founders of Cornerstone Recruitment. This is Alex Zobley and Matt Nichols and welcome to you today all the way from Japan. How are you? We're good. We're good. Yeah, good to be here from uh, Tokyo. Thank you for having us. And how and how are things there? How's it been? We're recording this in September 2021. How have the last 18 months been in Tokyo? Well, it's been it's been a pretty crazy 18 months all around the world, hasn't it? I think um, in Tokyo we've been a bit lucky, yeah. I, I guess, because we uh, we've not had crazy lockdowns. Um, you know, the, I think the worst thing is that uh, restaurants don't serve alcohol at the moment. But apart from that, you know, we're in the office and uh, business is running, so it's not it's not too bad. That's great. And what's the reason for no alcohol? I don't understand. Uh, yeah, we uh, yeah we do neither. So <laughs> you should <laughs> you ask like Japanese government again. The trains are packed. <laughs> the restaurants are packed. People are going to work, but there's no alcohol. So obviously, there's some linking out, and I'm saying that's a teetotaler, but even I'm a bit perplexed by that. I don't. That doesn't make yeah. any sense. So you just got you're just driving it underground. But there you go, black market. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's it. That's what we do. <laughs> Big keys popping up in Tokyo. That's it. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> now you um, obviously have been following the the podcast, which is absolutely wonderful because we are thrilled that it's growing in in its global audience, which is just brilliant. Yeah community just continues to feed back to us that you know we're getting people all across the world who want to share their experiences as leaders and the reason that I wanted you to come on today is to talk about how you yourselves have actually launched and globally scaled up a business so to, you know give us some context tell us a little bit about yourselves both of you. Do you want to go first? Okay uh, so uh, yeah Matt and I met uh, when did we meet like, like Oh, six years ago? Yeah, six years ago, yeah, seven years ago. Something like that, basically, where we uh, uh, were both in Japan, Matt a little bit longer than me, uh, but basically we, uh, we were both working for Hayes and Robert Waters uh, in Japan. And, uh, you know, I'm Italian, but I worked in London for seven years before coming to Japan. Uh, yeah, and then, you know, we uh, Matt joined uh, the bilingual arm of Recruit as a managing uh, director at yeah. the time, right? And uh, uh, Recruit, for people that don't know it, is actually the fourth largest recruitment business worldwide. Is is a Japanese conglomerate, yeah. huge, massive, ja- massive Japanese recruitment business. They um, are huge in the domestic market, but they had a kind of a very small business focused on international companies, a bilingual cabinet in Japan, right? And that's where, where we met, right? Where we met, right? And uh, we, I think what we did for them is actually what really put us on the map, I think, in uh, in, in Japan and uh, to a certain extent in, in a regional, uh, you know, scale. We basically built that business from, well, nothing, right? To around 200 people when we left. Uh, yeah, it was 15 people when we joined. When we joined. And it had been established for six years, so it wasn't like... You know, it had been struggling a bit, and um, about four years later, it was 220 people, and we were making you know more than 50 million dollars a year. Um, so, yeah, I think that was the what we really achieved together, growing that business to like a massive scale, um, which helped us to get what we're up today. I want to pick up on that because obviously I recruit for the recruitment sector. So, if I think about you know the typical, I think the typical recruitment company, particularly in the UK, is between five and 15 people that's the most common yeah. sme size that there is 
how do you take a business that has been going, like you say, it's been established, it's at 15 heads. I don't know what the sort of NFI is on that, but let's just say it's making enough money clearly to survive. How did you then take it from that where it was possibly, you know, quite bubbling along to growing it? How how did you do that? Take us, talk us through the steps. Well, I think we, the business had a brand already, right? So it was already part of a a very well-established brand, a big Japanese company. Um, and it had the resources. Mm. And I think um, the Japan market is a unique market in, in many ways in that it's got two sides to it, right? It's got the domestic market, where, which is for local Japanese companies where they only hire people that just speak Japanese and the, interna- and the international market. And I think Recruit, the, the, the holding company, never really understood how to approach and leverage their brands with international companies. And I think that's what we did step one really well. And we managed to kind of sell this vision of how big this company could be to enough people. And it really snowballed, didn't it? Yeah. yeah. And I think that there also was a space, you know, for a business that size, you know, in, in, in that space in Japan, you know, Robert Waters are market leader and yeah. they've been forever. <laughs> and then the kind of the, 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 the podium, I would say, it was up for grabs. You know, you have the Hayes, the Michael Page and a few other companies that, uh, that they're far distant, I think, from the number one. And I think we, we had the vision. I think we, we put the hard work and clearly we, we, you know, we managed to find the right you know, elements to make it happen. I think that there was also the, the space to have another really big business in that. Yeah, I think that was it. We saw that. We, we saw, saw that, the you know, this business could be maybe the number two or number three recruitment business in Japan in, in a relatively short period of time if we could convince enough other people that that, that was going to happen. And I remember when we first stood in front of 15 people and said, hey, in a year or two years, I can't remember what we said, well, I think we're going to be 100 people. And everybody looked back no, at us, like, no chance, <laughs> absolutely no chance. But, um, you know, then we were. Yeah, we're pretty confident. I think we, what we said from the beginning was if, if we don't make it to 100 people, it is really on us because all the ingredients were there, I think, to make it happen. You know, we had a brand. There's two elements aren't there, then, listening to you that there was the external opportunity like you say you could yeah. say there was you know there was a gap in the market and you know that you've got the opportunity to be able to do that but actually internally hiring in the right people that bought into that yeah. vision, but equally yeah. just as importantly making sure that the ones that you want to keep uh, were on board with it and i think that's where a lot of recruitment businesses do um get stuck because maybe they haven't realized that the three of those three elements actually not two are actually they're all equally important and you have to communicate what what you clearly did which what you just said there Matt you know you stood in front of those 15 people and said this is where we're going to get to you know don't we we need to communicate we need to explain this is where we want to be you're on the journey with us or you're not kind of thing and I think that's it's actually quite a simple strategy to communicate but a lot of a lot of people maybe lose that a little bit I think when they're sort of on this mission I think so. Yeah, I, I think maybe well, one thing that actually we did that we kind of I think introduced honestly in the maybe in the Japanese recruitment market is we we went aggressively and hired from competitors where at the time I think it was a bit of a, of a taboo I think yeah when uh, we yeah <laughs> yeah right so we That's we, we kind of like yeah we we went aggressively after you know some of the big names and it kind of after i think we hired some of again some key people in in the market and 
people enjoyed working with yeah. us and you know i think that they kind of then the, the reputation grow and you know and, uh, it was a bit right. easier i think do you know i also really helped that we both worked in recruitment in england previously because um you know i don't want to say the japan market is easy it's definitely got its own quirks which make it difficult but it's an it's an immature market and yeah. i think the, yeah. the kind of the kind of technical level of uh, of recruiters generally is relatively low compared to the really tough mature markets like if you're recruiting in London or in Sydney or in Manchester or whatever you're probably going to be a much better recruiter than the average recruiter in Tokyo so for us we could bring that I think that level of technical expertise as well and bring up the guys to that level and that gave us a, a competitive advantage right against some of the other firms. Can you, both, can you both hear that? While people are listening, they're literally typing into Google now, recruitment in Tokyo. <laughs> <laughs> We're hiring. Also, we operate at 40% fees, which makes a big difference. Wow. That's incredible. So, look, we're, we're jumping ahead here. That's, I think yeah, that you know, you've, it's a very pragmatic approach that you've taken. But I, I think what, what you've said there, Alex, is absolutely right. I think having a, I don't want to use the word aggressive, but having an assertive, confident strategy going into, yeah. you know, targeted people. Mm -hmm. And I, I see the, you know, the advantage of that. And, I, you know, I made a really bad rhetoric joke there. But actually, it, you know, I think if you're listening to this and you're in the UK, you know, the chances of you pulling out people from competitors is probably diminished. So in, how, have you, how creative did you have to be as you, as you went from 100 to 200? Does it get easier? Are you creating clones? How does it work? It got easier. I think the first, first 50 is tough because you're, you're selling a dream which yeah. people can't, can't see, they can't visualise it, right? Yeah. So I think that was the real tough point for us. Once we got to 100, to get to 200 was easy. Easier, easier. The difficult was the, like 15 to 50, really hard. Yeah, 50 to 100 also challenging because you need to get that middle management layer in, play, yeah. uh, in place that will allow you to go from 100 to 200. I think that was key. Uh, 100 to 200 was, I'm not saying it was, you know, it was actually relatively compared to what we did. Yeah, yeah. I think at that point you can market yourselves a bit more aggressively as well because you've got a story to, to tell on the market and, you know, you've done the hard bit and you, you can talk about it and people start talking about you in the market as well. You suddenly are maybe a, a big player people are worried about you you know we used to hear stories of our competitors you know in their board meetings saying hey we've got this new company's coming you know they're just starting to hire people from us what's going on and that that in a way also creates a bit of mystique about about a business so well it, you, you know. you're seen as a, as a destination then um, I, right. I do i do want to pick up on something really important actually because again if i think about conversations that i have where you know i deal with business owners like yourselves and you know they'll say you know we're at you know 10 15 heads now um 2024 we want to be at 100 and i think well how are you going to do that um yeah. so the scalability angle is it that that infrastructure that you have and i want to really pick up on that so what when you think about when you went you say the 15 to 50 was probably the, and i do agree i think that's the hardest most painful journey that any business owner goes on so if you if you can think you know scientifically or not what what structure did you already have and then what did you make sure you had in place from an infrastructure that leaders can learn from to ensure they've got the right foundations basically to scale their business up okay so i just wanted to break away from the chat for 60 seconds to talk to you about an issue a lot of agencies are facing right now and what one company hoxo media are doing about it there's a lot of talk about what it takes to be the quote unquote modern recruiter personal branding, building an online presence, finding new and innovative ways to engage the market, whatever your market is. 
It's an approach most businesses are fumbling around with at the moment, to be honest. Meanwhile, Hoxo have absolutely nailed it. They are arguably the world's foremost marketing agency dedicated exclusively to the recruitment sector. And they've worked out what recruiters need to do to see tangible success through online activity. They've developed a proven methodology to follow on LinkedIn daily to establish you, you, as the go-to recruiter in your space and drive inbound leads and new business opportunities on a consistent basis. Now, they teach it all to you over an eight-week course in the Hoxo Academy. I actually completed the Hoxo Academy in the very height of COVID, and it completely transformed my business. In fact, it paid for itself by the end of week two. The best place to find out more about Hoxo Media is to check out their website, hoxomedia.com, or search for them on LinkedIn and give them a follow. They give away an absolute ton of valuable advice and actionable tips for free. But if and when you're ready to seriously invest in your online brand, give these guys a shout. But make sure to tell them that Leisha from Key Recruitment sent you and just quote the podcast, the Recruiters Recruitment Podcast, and they'll give you a cheeky discount as well. Not bad, eh? Now, back to the chat. I think it's, um, you know, the specifics can be can be quite difficult. I think we, we did have some decent infrastructure in place. So, but we changed... Everything, everything yeah. with scalability in mind. So everything from the commission structure to the KPIs, right. to the to the career path, to the contracts that we would send to clients. It, every single aspect of the business we looked at at the beginning, and we changed it with scalability in mind. And I think that's that's the bit I would that's the bit I would say. I think if you really are genuinely serious about scaling a business, every decision you should make, even even if there's a short term bit of pain for that decision, mm-hmm. should be one with How's this, how's this structure going to look when we're 100 people? How's it going to look when we're 150 yeah. people? We also, I think maybe like to add on that, I think we never had like a hierarchy or an org chart in mind. You know, we always like build the business around the people that we had uh, with us, you know? So maybe some team and some division grew a little bit faster than others, even if maybe there were not areas that were hot at the time, you know? Yeah. Uh, and then vice versa, right? The areas that were hot, and of course, everybody was investing in it for us. Maybe they, they were a little bit slower to be bit just because we didn't have the people around it. And uh, I think, uh, especially coming maybe from UK, where you have lots of boutiques that are super subspecialized. And, you know, with us, we, we didn't have that approach. We really just build a business around what we had, the people we had. And yeah. then the, the structure came after that, I guess. Yeah, yeah. That's, I think that's a really good point. We, we knew how it was going to look when yeah. we were 200 people. Yeah. And we had all the gaps to fill, but we could be opportunistic. And if we met somebody who was awesome in a slightly less hot area, we'd go for the awesome person rather than trying to get someone in the hot area. And that's, yeah. that made the difference. That's my soundbite. That's going to be my new strap line as a rep to rep. There you go. I just, everything that you've said there. So just to summarize, I guess, first of all, you have to be quite brave and brazen with your plan. And I think there's a lot of accidental entrepreneurs out there that are listening who are possibly growing, you know, because they're in a great hot market. And I think that's, I think you made that point, Alex, even if there weren't hot markets, you knew that you needed those people in. And I think there's a lot to be learned from that. um, If you know that that's your vision. So I think it's almost like you have to, you know, that that's your end goal. You have to work backwards from it is a, is the structure and it's proven. It's proven. So, and I think, and, and, and you know, I can't necessarily say from a granular detail, but I think a lot of businesses that have scaled up to 15 have possibly done so 
not accidentally, because you know, I'm not going to take anything away, but they've done it because they're in a hot market and they've not necessarily had purpose. So I think that's a really, really important point that you've made. So how did you go from doing that for somebody else to actually launching your own business? How, what was the leap that happened? Or not a leap? Well, we, I guess we, um, we, we always wanted to have our own business. We work really well together and um, you know, we're a great team, we think. So we... We've been talking about it for a while. I think there's a frustration for working for a massive Japanese, Japanese business, which, um, you know, has got certain, they, they weren't as ambitious as us, I would say, for the, the business that we had. And I think once you have that track record, then you can start to approach investors. Yeah. And, and that's what we did. We flew all around the world, really. We went to London, we were in Shanghai, went all over the place with this story of what we'd done. And, um, and we got so lucky, we, you know, we got, you know, an investment with Morgan Stanley and uh, Cornerstone Global Partners, which is a, a, the bigger group. And I don't think there's many recruitment businesses in Tokyo that have that kind of backing. So, yeah, we, uh, we, we were well happy with how it turned out. I think the market was also right, you know, for, I think, to get the same investment as we got at the time right now is absolutely impossible, especially because we sold, again, an idea, really. You know, we didn't have uh, a cash flow business at the time. For sell, it was just like our track record and really ourselves really um so i think now would be like it's impossible to get the same deal that that we got but at the time the market was really at this peak so i think we've actually got the right timing as well i think so i was going to say that because we it, it, it's a very hot topic when i get people approaching me who, who are thinking of launching on their own that that's actually a pretty big part of my footfall actually they're sort of at associate director level they're way yeah. you know they've grown something and they want to do it themselves how how critical do you think the right investor is and do you think you have to go down that investment route or do you think people can do it themselves if you want to scale you need to have investment 100 like uh, otherwise you just simply you can't have the cash flow you know for us now for instance we we started two years ago and in the middle of, of a pandemic, we grew from nothing to, I think now we're 40, we're going to be 60 in January. Uh, always with positive cash flow, almost from you know, the beginning, right? But, you know, you need money on it. <laughs> yeah. so, I mean, there are some examples, right, of people who've started a business with their own money and it's now a huge business. They've nailed, completely nailed it and done brilliantly. So, of course, it's, right, it's possible, but I think, yeah. It's tough to really scale a business if you, unless you have investment. There's, I've met, there's been, a, been a, few, a few individuals that I've met who have gone on and eventually launched on their own, and you know, and there's no discredit because obviously I'm a very small own managed business, but yeah. they they turned down offers because they felt that at some point they would begrudge that investment and having to give away equity and everything. And what would you say to those people? I think it depends what the business you want. I think. For us, we, you know, we didn't want to have a boutique and it's never been in our mind and we wouldn't be satisfied with a 50 people business. Honestly, I think for us, we always, I think, want to have a very big business and eventually in the future, we like the idea of doing something regional, you know, and expanding other countries. And uh, to do that, you need to have investment, you know, or if you want to do it, it will take you like 20 years or 30 years, right? And that's not you know, we want to do it now, really, I think, you yeah. know. Uh, so to do that, you, you just have to give away equity. You just have to, I think, accept that and, and find the right partner, I think, you know, that's that's the most important part. You know, if you don't, if you have to give equity to just the first person walks through the door, then probably not. Maybe better to do it by yourself, but. Oh, yeah. I mean, for me, I, nothing wrong with a small, profitable business. Yeah. If that's what you want. That's fantastic. 
no, no, you know, no, no problems with that. I think um, it's just not what we want. No, so, no, um, no, so that, you know, took on something that you said, Matt, actually, a little bit earlier about about sort of the way that you courted investors all around the world, and I think again, that's where maybe people go wrong. Um, yeah. in, I think it's 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 just as important as it is finding a life partner or finding yeah. a, a new job. I think you know, do shop around. Don't be afraid to do that because it's got to feel right. And I think there's a likability aspect that the finances have to work out. But I think that there's that trust element with an investor. And that's yeah. my advice to, you know, I've been very fortunate that I have supported plenty of startup businesses with investors that I have over here. And, you know, without a shadow of a doubt, I've made sure that they've always had more than one dialogue going on because I think yeah. it's important for them to do that. Yeah, I think for us it was quite actually like, and it like the process is actually quite nice because we, uh, you know, we met like a lot of different people at different stages of the uh, yeah. the search, you know, uh, through, you know, through partners, you know, directly approaching them. And I think we actually got educated, like why we were doing as well, because the first time, right, we did something like that. Yeah. Know? So uh, we actually get better, I think, over the process by, you yeah. know, understanding yeah. the kind of nuances of, you know, an investment, I think. You just got to have a clear idea of what you want. What kind of business do you want as well? Because that's what the investor is also interested in. How's this business going to gonna end up, right? What do you want to do? And for us, it's we have this track record of doing it in Tokyo. We've done it. So that's what we wanted to use. We 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 think second time round, we've we've made a lot of mistakes before. You kind of learn from those. Hopefully, you won't make the same ones again. Uh, if you've still got the energy to do it, which is yeah. important, then yeah, that's what we wanted. No, that's de definitely. So we we talked about the fact that the pandemic has been I don't want to say kinder in your part of the world, but it's been maybe yeah. less restricted. How how in terms of the, the your actual business has it helped or hindered you? Would you say? Well, uh, well, I think at the beginning it was scary because we yeah. just launched like a couple of months before and um, a lot of our clients actually were in industries that uh, had been, you know, heavily affected, you know, so uh, that was worrying, honestly, after the first couple of months in February when, you know, we had a lot of deals over the line and actually the, the business was, you know, uh, ticking over nicely. I think at the time we already had like 10 people I think in the business you yeah know? so also from a payroll and you know uh, like fixed costs it was, it was something but I think we again for us we, we never blame the market honestly or external factors if things go wrong we we actually saw an opportunity in there and uh, for us it turned out to be great I think one of the reasons why we are like 40 people right now and we're able to actually grow really fast is because everybody else like you know sort of took basically like a break <laughs> and uh, and uh, and we were grinding I mean in the we office, you know? I think for me there were two there were two reasons why we did okay in the in the pandemic I think one is and I know this is not popular with everybody but it's just how we run our business and we're really clear with people when they, they join us we, we don't remote work so we we want we want people in the office who are on board and and are comfortable with that um Whereas all our competitors pretty much made the decision, the big boys, to work from home. And I think, you know, you get a lot of 25, 26-year-olds working from home in a beautiful weather in Tokyo in summer. I don't think they're quite as productive as uh, as we were. And I think secondly, secondly, do you know what? Because of that link to that as well, Japanese candidates don't pick up the, the phone during the day because they're scared in the office to, to answer a phone. So it was really difficult before to get hold of them. But when they were all working from home as well, I was just we registered like honestly we got a database pretty much in like six months or something during the pandemic simply because the people at home or they were a bit scared you know 
of maybe the, the, the pandemic. And I think from the client side, a lot of clients, I think because a lot of recruiters were, you know, working from home really, uh, or maybe recruiters that were on a draw, they just give up for one year. And we were able to enter like really good clients that would not have looked at Cornerstone, honestly, in a normal time, they actually looked yeah. at us and we were, you know, uh, really practical with them. And I think we, we enter some really key accounts that we would not have the opportunity. Uh, but also I think, again, we, I think we, there were lots of recruiters who were a bit, I think maybe, you know, uh, mismanaged or were not maybe treated properly, I think, during the pandemic, you know, from competitors. And we were like really aggressive after some key people in the market, you know, we hired, you know, Derek, one of the top guys in the financial industry uh, is, is, is an absolute superstar and we got him where he didn't have any offers on the table very much, right, or very few. So I think we were also like, we're really, you yeah. know, risk taker. I think we were the best, a bit of risk taker. Well, you, you, yeah, you're risk takers, but you're brave. And, and I think Carp DM, and I, think yeah, I, saw yeah. it, I saw it over here and you know the placements that I actually managed to make during 2020 which you can imagine as a rhetoric it was very challenging but I did yeah, make really every single placement that I made the business owner I was brave and brazen and they're now absolutely streams ahead because it, and I, but I do want to pick up on the point that you've made Matt about you know this work from home versus being in the office and yeah. you know, I'm recording this from my home but you know I'm I guess I'm not the typical sort of recruiter um in the sense that I'm late forties and it's my own business and, and so on. But I think mm. it's actually gone back. I think it's almost like we've gone full circle because if I think back to the world pre COVID, it would actually be a large, re a, 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 I think it would be this utopia that a lot of recruiters thought they wanted, but actually yeah. it's not. And we're a community and we're social beings and human beings need interaction. And we are more productive being together in an office environment than working from home. Um, so, and you get the rarity like me, who is actually more productive working from home, but that's because it's my own business. Most yeah. people are more productive because you're more accountable and you just share more information. So I think, yeah. you know, obviously over here in the UK, we have no choice. We have to shut down. Um, but mm. I have these conversations all the time. And I think that there'll be a lot of leaders nodding away who've tried to create a hybrid culture because that's what a lot of people seem to want and I, my advice to those people is especially over here because you know hopefully there won't be any more lockdowns but create this kind of empowered it's open door but people then do actually want to come in they choose to come in so it's yeah. interesting but you, you know you 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 seize the day carp dm didn't you That's yeah i think so we, we got nothing against businesses that want to want to operate in that way and that's how they choose to do it or consultants or recruiters that that's the lifestyle choice they want to make but it's um it's not for us and uh, we're really clear with people about it and uh, we really feel that 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 made a massive difference yeah. in the in the covid main covid times we're all in the office as you say sharing information we're pretty team-based business yeah. even on the coaching right we i think you know we, we're technical recruiters right i think that's maybe an advantage i think for us compared maybe to other you know owners or directors that always grew up in you know in, in the golden times, I think, of the Japanese recruitment industry, right? So I think we can add a lot actually to the people by being in the office, just doing really old fashioned, you know, you listen to a call, you give the feedback immediately about, you know, what's right, what's wrong. And, you yeah. know, I think when you're, I think that is really, you actually improve the level of the, 
consultant way more. You can't do that on a Zoom call. You know, it's, it's, it's such an important point, Alex. And I totally agree. I mean, I'm st- I've been doing it, recruitment, believe it or not, for 23 years. And I'm still learning because every call that you're on is unique. Um, yeah. How can you how can you give constructive feedback if you're not listening to those calls? And even if, it might just be, you know, what should I say? I don't know what to say. You know, you can't do that if you're working remotely. And I think that was always going to be the risk, particularly in, in what we do, because it is a sophisticated job. You know, I think if yeah. you're a recruiter that sends CVs through portals, you probably can carry on doing that from home until the end of time. But if you're an influencer and you're, a, you know, you are, you are a sales recruiter, you need to be around other people so i think it's really really important point that you've made there so what's next for content as we sort of look think about 2022 and beyond what's what's going to happen what's your plan i think we've got uh yeah we, I mean, we've got big plans obviously um you know i think we uh we want to be i mean the, the end goal for content is we want to be a major player in the recruitment market so we want to get this business to be 200 people again similar size to what we did before um, and actually, I think we've, we've got this unique choice now, unique chance, sorry, where because we own the business, we've not got a head office anywhere setting the culture. We can do it exactly how we want. We can have a really modern recruitment business. And I think the real goal is to be a big business, but still really flexible and to be the destination of choice for experienced recruiters. Yeah. Um, and non-experienced. Yeah, well, and non-experienced too, well. yeah. Um, so that's it. I think next year is going to be, we've got a big office move uh, in January um so we've got a lot of space to fill and um that's what we're going to be doing sounds good well you know if ever you're in manchester it's a great place great place to come where are you from originally matt i did i do detect a bit of a northern twang yeah i'm from a, a place called Lytham St. Anne's near oh, blackpool beautiful yeah, yeah. I, but I had, I had my own recruitment business before tokyo in uh, in manchester i had an office in manchester and an office in birmingham so I'm very familiar with Manchester. My mum grew up in London. There you go. Small world. There you go. <laughs> well, it thank is. you so much for being my first guest from Japan. And I hope that anyone that's listening over there, welcome. And, you know, please do feel free to subscribe and get in touch. It sounds like you have got so much advice to offer. So we'll obviously make sure that all your connection details for LinkedIn are on this episode. Um, I'm sure you'll get lots of people locally sending you LinkedIn requests, which I hope is the case. We like to create community for people. But thank you both so much for joining me today. It's been really insightful and really enjoyable too. Thank you. Thank you very much. It was fun.